I'm going to talk this morning about humility and community. What can you say about humility? Well, actually, I'm staggered by how much God's Word has to say about it. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that it's what the God of all creation exalts. Its opposite is what he directly opposes. Its opposite is not only what damned Lucifer for all eternity but also caused the banishment of mankind from paradise. And thus, every evil and sin and its consequences today, the result of truly a lack of humility. You know, the Bible lists six things in Proverbs that God hates. Seven, it says, which are detestable to Him. Do you know the very first thing on the list is pride? The psalmist warns us that without humility, we labor in vain. As the Lord, it says, tears down the house of the proud. If we lack humility, Proverbs 16 tells us that we can be sure of this. We will not go unpunished. According to Philippians 2, humility is what ultimately allowed Jesus to become obedient to to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Andrew Mary called it the cardinal virtue. The only root, he says, from which grace can grow. Humility has also been called the very, the very soul of discipleship. It's very soul. It's the one attitude of the heart and mind that I believe we must be most concerned about in our lives. It's the one quality above all else for which I believe we must pray. Without it, you cannot be successful with God. And without it, love definitely cannot flow in our lives. Hopefully I'm getting your attention this morning. Because humility is such an important quality that i got to tell you, based on kind of what we looked at on Wednesday night with group discipling, it really seemed to be a theme in nearly every one of Jesus' D-groups, is what I discovered. You know, one of the very first D-groups, when he has to remind some very frustrated and I suppose even a little bit embarrassed disciples, that this kind can come out only by prayer. 
Where are we more humble than when we rely on God and are on our knees in prayer? Or how about the D group that uh, kind of sprung up one evening after Jesus noticed the disciples' argument on the road and he says, what have you been arguing about? Well, it certainly wasn't humility. It was who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who was going to have the right roles, the right and the left hand of Jesus. You know, it's truly amazing what God can do in His church when leaders aren't caught up in who gets the credit and what is my role. And then I think about the uh, some of the last D-groups that Jesus had. How about the ones in the last 24 hours of His life? You know, the one at the Last Supper where He gets up, takes a towel and a basin, and washes His disciples' feet. Humility seemed to be the theme of that D-group. Or how about even when Jesus looks down, hanging in agony from a cross... And he prays in front of everyone, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Humility. It is, simply put, both an essential ingredient in building community and also in keeping our mouth shut when we should keep it shut. Ben Franklin, he tells a story that's pretty famous, old Ben does. It's a story of two ducks and a frog who lived happily in a farm pond. They were best of friends and they would amuse themselves playing together in their water hole. However, the story goes when the hot summer days came, the pond began to dry up. And soon it was evident that they would have to move. Now obviously this was no problem for the ducks, who could easily fly to another pond. But the frog, well, he was stuck. So his friends, his duck friends, decided that they would put a stick in the bill of each duck that the frog could hang on to with his mouth and they could fly to another pond. Well, they got really high up in the air, as ducks often do. And the plan worked so well, in fact, that as they were flying along, a farmer noticed it, looked up in admiration and mused, Well, isn't that a clever idea? I wonder who thought of it. The frog said, I did. You have to think about that one for a moment. That may be some of the very last words we speak. I did. Our devotional on 40 days of community, I think, has just been far more than I imagine it to be. And this morning, I would like to talk about two ways, just two simple ways, that we can embrace 
this cardinal of all virtues, this very soul of discipleship in our relationships, humility. Point number one. We embrace humility in our relationships by admitting our need for each other. I don't know if you realize this or not, but it's not God's will that you go through life all by yourself. Even in the perfect, I mean perfect, sinless environment of Eden. God said, it is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. You see, I want to convince you that God hates loneliness. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone needs to be married. Let me make that real clear. But it does absolutely mean that everyone needs to have a spiritual family that they belong to. That's why God created the church. When God saves you, He adopts you into His family. He intertwines your life with the lives of... Well, these people sitting around you here. The lives of other believers. You know, uh, it's been pretty exciting to celebrate with Amy Baker the adoption of her teenager, Renee. And it's inspired us. And I think uh, the thing that I would probably want Renee to know when you got Amy, you got a really big family. Just so you know. And you got a pretty diverse family. That's one of our great strengths. And you see, you're not just a believer. What I want to convince you of this morning is you're a belonger. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible says in verse 27, all of you together are the one body of Christ. And each one of you is a separate and a necessary part of it. You know, the word body is often used to describe a group of people connected, if you will, for a purpose. I can remember back when I was in school. I was part of the student body. And I took pride in that. We know that elected political leaders form legislative bodies by which to govern. But when God calls the church the body of Christ, He has, if you will, a human body in mind. Where every part is interconnected and interdependent. And like many parts of any living body, it is impossible for a believer to thrive without each other. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21 says, The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can 
not say to the feet, I don't need you. Living in community requires great humility. You must be connected to a church fellowship. I mean connected to survive spiritually. If you don't come to a midweek service when we have a regional midweek, it's like taking a part of your body and cutting it off. I'm not talking about someone who misses because they have the flu. Please stay home. I'm not talking about someone who occasionally has an out-of-town seminar and they have to go and be at the out-of-town seminar. Please, go. But there are people in here, and you know who you are, who you just don't come to a regional midweek because, well, it's just not what you do. And i got to tell you, I've been a Christian for nearly four decades, and I have yet to figure out how you can thrive and not be part of the fellowship on a consistent basis. We meet in City Bible Talks on Wednesday night. Every other week is usually how it works in the scheme of things. You know, it's probably real easy to hide out. And say, well, you know, i got a little headache, so I don't think I'm going to go tonight. Or, wow, look at, look at our son. His, his eyes are a little crossed. Maybe we should stay home tonight. And I'm just telling you, uh, you know, what would Jesus do? Since Don kind of referred to that. What would Jesus do? You know, we used to have a saying when I was a young Christian in the ministry I was trained in, you can miss church when you're on your deathbed, dead. Now that might have been a little extreme, it might have been a little harsh for 2015. But I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful that it really put in me a deep conviction that I need to be there on Wednesday night. If there's a youth and family event on Saturday once a month, I need to get my family there. And if I have to change my schedule within reason to do that, then I need to do that. I am so proud of the parents in here for the incredible turnout we had yesterday at our youth and family event. We had anywhere between 100 and 125 people at it on a Saturday afternoon from 11.30 to 1.30. Josh put together and Sarah a fabulous program. Needs were met. Families were encouraged. Relationships were furthered. But i got to tell you, if you weren't there, then you need to ask yourself, why not? Why not? Well, we had a conflict. You know, I've learned in my life I'm going to have a lot of conflicts if I don't prioritize. And again, I am not saying that there aren't things that occasionally will conflict. 
But where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, the good book says. And it's impossible without humility to really see that we are admitting our need for each other by being a part of the body, the spiritual functioning body of Christ. In Romans 12.5 it says, Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ. We are all part of it. And it takes every one of us, every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do. So we belong to each other, and each one needs all the others. You know, my Bible says even if you were so strong that you didn't need to come to a regional midweek, you still need to get yourself there because someone else needs you to be there to give to them. See, what I'm really trying to get you to see is community is built through commitment. You can't really have a family if you're not committed to it. It's a family, whether it's a blood family or not, in name only, if you don't make time to see your family. I can't remember the last time Connie and I had a vacation where it was just the two of us going to sit somewhere on a beach or in a hotel pool. Because it seems whenever we have vacation time, we either have to go, I say have, we either need to go and want to go to Illinois to see her family, my family, or to go out to Los Angeles to be with our sons and their wives. But you know, we don't, we don't begrudge that. We, we look for the opportunity to be with and to move heaven and hell if necessary to be with family. Commitment means moving beyond superficial friendships. My Bible says there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. Proverbs 18. Committing to one another means loving no matter what. We're to love and support each other at all times. Hey, not just when it's convenient. Remember Proverbs 17, 17, it says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. We're to love other people, in other words, even when they're at their worst. And boy, I'm thankful my wife loves me even when I'm at my worst. Romans 5.8 reminds us that God showed His great love for us, it says, by sending Christ to die for us when we were committed to Him. And when we were ugly sinners, Christ came to die for us, loving no matter what. Commitment also means... Being there for each other. You know, I last night had a counseling appointment with Connie. The Ozans were there. They had worked all day. I don't know if you know this or not. Steve's a, a doctor. He worked all day Saturday. Bev's a family counselor. She worked all day Saturday till 5.30. They were there last night. Carl and Danielle had a full day, their quote-unquote day free. 
They were at Youth and Family. They had appointments. They were there last night. And the reason they were there is because we had a family that was having a crisis in their marriage. Two days ago, that wasn't in any of our schedules. But when we got the call, we need help, we dropped everything and went on a Saturday night. You see, a basic, a basic sign of commitment, i got to tell you, is simply showing up. Someone once said, 75% of life is just showing up. I would say 75% of love is showing up. If we care, we'll be there. Hebrews 10 is, is such a uh, great scripture that talks about our presence, our very presence being such a source of encouragement. And it says in Hebrews 10.25, you should not stay away from the church meetings. And some are doing. Well, apparently they had conflicts in the first century too. I don't know if they had a Saturday basketball league or brownies or Girl Scouts, but some were doing it. But you should meet together and encourage each other. And you know what? Do this even more as you see the day coming. And you have so many great opportunities this spring before you. You've just heard about marriage dynamics. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take it, then make the commitment. We've been talking about how incredible financial peace is. What a great servant Ken Horton is. Listen, that is filling up fast. If you don't have the $50, then please come talk to me. But don't let that keep you out of the class. I'll loan it to you because I know you'll be able to pay it back to me by the end of the class. Eugene Holmes. Eugene Holmes is offering a not even a hint purity class for the men. And I appreciate that initiative. Sounds like a need to me. Talk to Eugene about that. Carl is, on Sunday mornings for four weeks, starting on February 15th, going to have a time of training for the dads for 45 minutes before services begin on Sunday. Right here. Knowing dads that just have it all figured out, oh, we can handle this child, we know how to raise a teenager, I'm going to sleep in on Sunday for four weeks. I'm just saying, guys, we're talking about humility, and we're talking about humility really showing itself, and clearly, we need one another. That attitude. Let me ask you, simply this, in closing point one. Who or what, who or what are you committed to really at this hour? And who knows it? Have you ever gone to anyone besides your spouse 
and said, quote, I always want to be there for you. I know relationships in here where people have that kind of commitment to each other. I know a couple who on Friday night could make an urgent phone call and three very busy couples would drop everything to drive in the rain to go to their place and sit down with them. And God bless that time. Who do you send that to? I will always be there for you. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And God help us if we don't have one of those in our life. Have you recently, and I know it's only been 31 days, what can happen in 31 days, but have you recently recommitted to someone with God's stated biblical purpose, I want us to present each other perfect in Christ. Boy, it's great to read about one another Christianity. But we need to get serious about recommitting to deeper relationships among us. Point number two. We're talking about humility and how essential it is to community. The second way we embrace humility is by respecting each other. You know, I have to say, the older I get, as I've said before, the more I'm absolutely convinced this is what most people really want, and it's certainly what most people really need as they age. I didn't realize it, but it's really what I even sought as a teenager through those challenging high school years. Let me tell you what respect means. Respect means that we consider others better than ourselves. Let me say that again. Respect means that in our heart, we've gotten to the point spiritually where we can look at another person and consider them better than ourselves. That's hard teaching. To really get there with that outlook towards your fellow brother. You see, I think a lot of us are like we read in Luke 18. When Jesus told this story in verse 9, To some, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else, two men went in the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Boy, it's that season again, isn't it? despised tax collector. The Pharisee, when he stood by himself, that already should be a red flag based on point number one of our lesson today. And he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. You see, I don't cheat. 
I don't sin. And I don't commit adultery. I certainly am not like that tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Respect means, first of all, that we consider others truly better than ourselves. That's why it's not hard to give up your Saturday night when someone is in trouble that you love. That's why it's not hard to change your schedule, to be committed to the family of believers if our schedule needs to be changed to be at all the meetings of the body. But you know, respect means also that we work on being a good listener. And can I be real candid? Some of us really need to work on this one. A significant part of showing respect is simply listening. Opening our ears, not necessarily our mouths. I don't know if you thought about this uh, image of the body of Christ and the human body, but maybe let this thought sink in. God gave us two ears, but He only gave us one mouth. So just think, maybe which one you should use more. Have you ever thought that the God of the universe listens to our prayers? 1 John 5 verse 14 says something, as Steve said, quite amazing. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Think about how much God has said. You can actually carry it on your lap to church this morning. And then think of how much God has listened to in your lifetime. And ask yourself, how does God show respect to me? Connie was on the internet this week getting ready for an appointment. And she found an article, How to Win an Argument. Thought I would share a little bit of it with you before I close. Want to know how to diffuse an argument? 
Want to know how to cool the flames of a heated debate? Start with the phrase, I could be wrong. And believe it. Even when you think you're right, believe it. That you could, you just could be wrong. This doesn't mean we can't discuss things, make our points, state our observations, but we must always guard against pride. It's always lurking there, ready to raise its ugly head. At least in my heart it is. We must always guard against being wise in our own eyes. We should always try to be teachable, even when being addressed by someone much younger or less experienced. So keep this little phrase, the article says, in your back pocket. I could be wrong. Believe it, even when you think you're right. You see, all of us are wrong at times, even when we're sure we are right. We may have right information, but wrong motivation. We may be intelligent, but most of intelligent men don't know everything. Remember, we all have blind spots. We are not the ultimate judge of all things. Beware of being wise in your own eyes. Lord Jesus, help us to be humble. I hope something has touched your heart this morning about humility. Because I'm absolutely convinced where there's humility, there is great community. Humility is embraced in our relationships by truly admitting our need for each other. For some of us, as I said, it's just going to be showing up to midweek, to Youth and Family Saturday, and making God the first priority in our schedule. For others of us, embracing humility in our relationships and admitting our need for each other is going to be to find that someone who we commit to, let us help each other be perfect, fully mature in Christ. Let's not be just those who study community for 31 days of one another Christianity. And then in a few more days, seven more days, put the book on the shelf and say, Boy, that was a great study, wasn't it? And your relationships stay shallow. Oh, you're good friends, but you're football friends. You're parenting friends. You're let's go get a beer and watch the game kind of friends. We're talking about God's family. Community. And then being a good listener, respecting each other by listening. Today we're going to go watch the Super Bowl, most of us. I will just warn you there's going to be a little bit of lamenting 
over, was that a catch? Was that not a catch? That sure looked like a catch to me. Why aren't they here? And so... A good minister knowing the needs that are out there and the things you struggle with. I want to close with this thought. I know how many of us were wishing the Cowboys were going to be playing in the big game today. I do. So, so let me leave you with this very encouraging image of our Cowboys. January 30th, 1994. Super Bowl 28 was being played out in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. The NFC champion, Dallas Cowboys, had just defeated the AFC champion, Buffalo Bills, 30 to 13. Dallas scored 24 unanswered points in the second half. And Cowboys running back Emmett Smith was named the Super Bowl MVP with 30 carries, 132 yards, two touchdowns, four passes for 26 yards. At the end of the game, Buffalo Bills player Thurman Thomas stayed on the Buffalo bench long after all the teams had gone to the locker room and the fans had more than cleared out. With his head bowed in his hands on his knees, it had been Buffalo's fourth straight Super Bowl loss. The Bills became the first team to both appear in and lose four consecutive Super Bowls. So guys, it isn't that bad, okay? During the game, Thomas fumbled the ball three times, which had contributed, obviously, to Buffalo losing the game. Thomas finally looked up from the bench, lifted his head from his knees to see the Dallas Cowboys star running back, Emmett Smith, standing in front of him. He was holding his small goddaughter. Smith looked at her and said, I want you to meet the greatest running back in the NFL. Mr. Thurman Thomas. Smith and Thomas were competing for NFL records, friends. But there was no gloating on Smith's part. If you follow sports, you know that Emmett Smith retired in 2005 as the NFL's all-time rushing record holder and as one of the greatest players in the history of the game. But that's not why I admire him. I admire him because he gets humility. He understands that humility builds bridges to community. 
And I want to imitate that kind of humility as I imitate the humility of Christ. He who has ears, let him hear this morning what the Spirit is saying to you right now about your relationships. Let us pray.